Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Hilo. This is episode four. Not too poor. Is that uh, Cockney rhyming slang, Pandora? It is. This is our fourth episode of the Hilo. Uh, those devoted listeners who have checked in before will know that this is a podcast brought to you by me, Pandora Sykes, and her, Dolly Alderton, where we talk about all things highbrow and lowbrow that have been happening across the world in the last week. What's your favourite? Highbrow thing and lowbrow thing. Oh, um, and be boasty, be boasty, be boasty with the highbrow, and be ruthlessly honest with the lowbrow. Okay, I think I think the highbrow thing would just have to be something I read. So maybe it would be Tolstoy. N- no, James Joyce. No, um, I was going to say like the Atlantic or the New Yorker. <laughs> <laughs> something long form. Um, and lowbrow, it would probably be dance moms. What's dance moms? It's dance moms, but I'm saying it in an American accent. What is it? Um, it's the mother of child dancers. That's screaming bravo to me. Five, TLC. Five star or something. Right, home and Away's on one. it. That's how I met okay. dance moms, just because I like to watch you Home like and Away home sometimes. Away. Yeah. Okay. What about you? What's your highbrow? What's your lowbrow? Um, highbrow, I would say the critical theory of Roland Barthes. Lowbrow, watching old episodes of Stars in Their Eyes on <laughs> YouTube. Can't do. Stars I think I can go lower than that. Actually, the Hairy Bikers cookery programs, chip sandwiches, cheesy chips. Oh my god! If on the subject of food, you Fish know, finger I'll sandwiches, win. Monster Munch. Oh, I love Monster Munch. Don't you think that Monster That's Munch so would be very weekend. clever to sell the pickled onion dust on its own separately? It's just have a little sprinkle. I never eat the pickled onion ones. I roast beef. There we are. They do extraordinary things to your stomach, though. That's all I'm saying. Let's move on. What have we been up to this week? So, in the interest of full disclosure, as you've probably gathered from the preamble, the Hilo's feeling pretty tired this week. We are. We've been working very hard. We're feeling a bit weary. So, those of you that listened to last week's episode will know that Dolly was watching Love on Netflix and didn't think I'd like it. Now, I have roared through two seasons in the last week. Sunday, I watched the whole of series two. And I absolutely love Love. So Dolly, you're you're quite wrong. I wish I tweeted. I wish I'd written it. Dolly was like, "It's not that good." Dolly did a vault fast, which is uh, our listeners of last week will know she did then as well. I like love. I love love. I just don't believe them as a couple, Pandora. Do you? Um, semi. I was just more interested in how much it revealed about modern life, everything from and I love the LA backdrop, texting as well. to sex to just the whole. There were so many 
clever insights I think into what dating is about in like 2017 and what it's like to be a man what it's like to be a woman and I love how they deal with addiction as well I think that's something that they do it's very sophisticated how they explore that she's very very hard on him anytime he tries to do something nice and she's like fuck you you condescending asshole that's why I just find them so unlikable and I find him so needy and spineless and people pleasing I actually think the reason I don't like it is I'm confronted in both of those characters as the worst bits of myself but they both remind me of me he is spineless people pleasy bit of a nerd bit annoying she is self-obsessed drinks too much rude hot though dolly she's really hot yeah well obviously i identify with that very heavily anyway i really like that next on my list is big little lies i've been hearing amazing stuff about it it's on sky atlantic so i don't know if i can catch up with it i think it's on the second series it's got reese witherspoon in it and another really famous person it's like a seriously star studded cast um a tv show been hearing great things about that so that's next on my list I have been speaking to a load of teenagers. I was writing a piece for my website about how fake news has affected Generation Z. That's the generation below um, us and their attitude to social media and to truth versus opinion. And I spoke to loads of teenagers and it was really interesting. It's one of my favourite things I've written in a long time. So a bit of self-promo. If you want to check it out, you can go to my website. And that's basically what I've been doing this week, watching Love and writing that piece and hanging out with my parents, which is always hilarious. I've got a bit of news. Yeah, what's your news? So today, Pandora, is World Poetry Day. Oh, yes. Yes, okay. So I thought it'd be nice if we each read a poem, which we did for each other when we went away, if you remember. I don't remember that. Well, I read you a poem and you read me the fucking lyrics of that fucking Patricia the Stripper Oh my Song god! That you were obsessed and with a swing of her hips. Okay, you read out your favourite poem, and I'm going to write you one. Okay, whilst... but as long as it's not rude, it will be rude, won't it? Okay, I'm going to read on Waterloo Bridge by Wendy Cope. Great. On Waterloo Bridge, where we said our goodbyes, the weather condition. I can hear you scribbling. I'm writing a poem. The weather conditions bring tears to my eyes. I wipe them away with a black woolly glove and try not to notice I've fallen in love. On Waterloo Bridge, I am trying to think. This is nothing. You're high on the charm and the drink. But the jukebox inside me is playing a song that says something different. And when was it wrong? On Waterloo Bridge, with the wind in my hair, I'm tempted to skip. You're a fool. I don't care. The head does its best, but the heart is the boss. I admit it before I am halfway across. Very nice. Right, now read your dirty little limerick. Hold on. You're still writing it? Dolly, I started writing 30 seconds ago. Okay. Go on. It's going to be rude. Just add a few lines there. Okay. Like on countdown. There once was a girl named Dolly. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Go on. There once was a girl named Dolly who was capable of tremendous folly. She took off her knickers with her (laughs) eyes all of a flicker and downed a bottle of bolly. (laughs) <laughs> quite good in like 20 seconds isn't it it's a fairly accurate <laughs> description of my Saturday night which I would like to speak to you about oh yes do tell me <laughs> I have I have you know how when um, you're in your early 20s and people who are in their 30s say to you you don't know what a hangover is until you're 30 I'm realising that so, having turned 30 it has been the seismic shift in my life I'm realising that everything that everyone ever said to me is true what does that mean? It means that every time people said, when you're my age, I was like, yo, I'm, I'm, Oh, and how all so? Of it. How so? All, well, I'm just, I'm, I am completely confounded by exactly the same 
societal pressures freak outs whether it's um, about like pensions to getting older to like caring about your body i've really noticed the manifestations of all these things in my mind have really changed since that big you won't birthday. like this question you'll think i'm being flippant but it's just from other things people have said to me when they turn 30 do you feel different in your body i feel a bit different do you feel more I tired f- i feel like i've felt really tired for like the last year i really genuinely feel in the last few weeks i've done a um right I want to work really hard and I want to earn money and I want to have a family and these are the things I care about in life and I haven't got any time for X, Y, Z. Well, that feels really nice. That will be why you're more tired. It's not your body changing. It's that you're probably just more focused and working harder, probably. I don't know. There's just been, yeah, there's been a few examples in the last few weeks. There's been stuff that I feel like I really would have worried about and because I've had all these decisions, which may fade away by the time I'm 31, um, because I've had all these decisions in my mind, I feel a bit like... I'm not going to bother thinking about that right now. I'm busy mm. on this. Let's see if it lasts. I've never managed to be one of those people. It'd be nice if it is. It'd be nice if I sort of suddenly realised uh, the really important things in life. Anyway, tell me about your Saturday night. Well, so I went out. It was one of my best friends, Sabrina's birthday. Birthdays this I don't think you Instagrammed it enough. Well, Sabrina is known um, <laughs> amongst our group of friends. I mean, I hope she gets married, sort of dreading it, because her birthday... Oh, what, you'll have seven hens? Yeah, the birthday My friend Lucy had two, birthday which week, a weekend for... It's never been a day for all the time I've known her, but that's fine. We enjoy celebrating it. Friday evening, we went to a lovely French restaurant in Soho, and we had um, a lovely private room. Where did you go? L'Escargot. It's one of my favourite restaurants. It's divine. Yeah, I, I, I did a thing for Matches Fashion about my favourite things in London. Oh, I read that, And I had yeah. my picture taken there the other day. I love it. Ollie and I had the, one of the worst arguments of our life there, but we still loved dinner, which is testament to how great... <laughs> te- do you know what I mean? On balance, it's yeah, still I've really had great. so many meals ruined at you lovely restaurants. You had a private room. Here, I'm going to give you that so you can frame it. I've just been handed the uh, dirty limerick. Thank you, my darling. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we went to this private room. There are about eight of our best friends. It was lovely. Lovely. Um, but the problem with having a private room, and because we were drinking so oh my much... God, the problem with having a private room by Dolly Alderton, a short story of privilege. No, the problem of having a private room in a restaurant when it's a load of sort <clears> of... <throat> I don't want to say ladettes, but women who like drinking. It got a bit Billingdon Club. <laughs> who was pinned under a snooker queue, the waiter? It felt like it felt like it was going in that direction. And then we were so, so hungover. We had her actual party on the Saturday. And none of us could sort of stand. We were so hungover. And I just noticed that every single one of us now can't do hangover. Two nights in a row. No, we can't do two nights in a row. And also... I don't actually do two nights in a row, I've just realised. No, it's, I can't do it. And also my body now, I nearly always vomit the next day. Wow. Which I never had in all of my 20s until now. Also, I had a hangover yesterday as well. So the hangover now lasts three days. I only felt normal May I point out? That this is why you started magical drinking. I'm going to have to go back to magical drinking. So, do the you want year, to explain what magical drinking is? The year is? of magical drinking is a very funny little literary joke. I play on words from Joan Didion's memoir, The Year of Magical Thinking, which is actually a very serious book. I was trying to cut down on my drinking about a year ago. So, I said there must be a way in which you can drink in moderation so you still have fun you still feel a bit loosened but you don't wake up doesn't cripple you the next day because I now just cannot write even a sentence when I'm hungry such a uniquely British thing as well every other country's managed to enjoy alcohol I know we have to find a method Um, so I started this thing called the year of magical drinking which is you did it for ages basically it's just having three drinks and making three drinks last over the course of an evening and your theory was anything after three and they have to be normal drinks so they can't be if if those three drinks are wine if they are large glasses of wine that counts more like five and you're yeah, yeah. It's got to be three. I think I need to go drinks. back to it. Do you still do it? 
I never did magical drinking. Well, I thought you did magical drinking. I just for drink a bit. quite slowly. Yeah, I just knock it back. <laughs> Speaking of which, oh yes, Miraval. Okay, so I think that people who drink Miraval are in a bit of a cult, and I'm in that cult. And if you're not in that cult, you might not know what Miraval is. But it is basically Brangelina's rosé. It's not cheap. It's nineteen pounds fifty a bottle, so I don't indulge in it all the time. But it is in my extensive rosé drinking experience, and I do have extensive experience. I drink rosé all year round. Yes. You heard me, all year round. So since Brangelina announced that they were getting divorced and, you know, everything went Pete Tong, I've just been, I've been quite worried about Mirabelle. I haven't said anything out loud because I didn't want to jinx it. Anyway, I can finally breathe a sigh of relief because... Thank God. Thank God. And I actually tweeted saying, thank God. Rosé lovers, you know, you can step down. But Mirabelle is going to carry on. The vineyard is still producing its delicious Miraval wine. It is apparently an investment for Brangelina's children. But it got me to thinking, Carrie Bradshaw, it got me to thinking about booze loyalists. Now, I am very loyal to Miraval. Dolly, what are you loyal to? Something happens in the middle of your 20s where at the beginning you only drink Blossom Hill or Jacob's Creek. And then you get to about 27 and you just think, oh, I can't really go on like this, can I? So everyone switches to Oyster Bay. So now Oyster Bay is just... All I drink. Oyster Bay says, I sort of appreciate you cooking dinner for me. Definitely more than a bottle of Foot of Africa. But I don't appreciate it quite enough. Do you mean barefoot? No, there's one called Foot of Africa that I used to buy from the Nisa local. <laughs> there's Camden. one with the loveliest labels. Pounds. And I went to my best friend Lucy's house for dinner the other day and I bought one and it's got this gorgeous label on it. And it doesn't taste too bad, but it is only five quid. And oh. I wondered if anyone would bust me and everyone had bought the same. Oh, and really? she wasn't even offended because she was like, it's so great. We can all pretend it's actually about 15 quid because it looks like it is. And obviously can you find none out of the name of that because I could do with that? Yes, I will find out from her. It's got like a really lovely illustration of like a piggy on it, I think. Let me find out. Can I talk about the last time I drank old Mirabelle, whatever it's called? Mirabelle. Mirabelle. Yeah, you can talk about Mirabelle. So, Listeners of the Pandoli podcast might remember the, the rather fuzzy um, episode we did, which was the Christmas special that was um, a bit booze-filled. And afterwards, this is a... Uh, afterwards, Pandoli died. Director's commentary. Afterwards, Pandora and I carried on drinking in the studio with our producer, Dave. And then we proceeded to steal, it wasn't our finest hour, two giant cardboard cutouts... Borrow. ...of footballers from the Suns Football Podcast Borrow. office... Um, and then we took them with us out of the news building. I went to Notting Hill with Pandora. We took them into a KFC. And then we went into um, an odd bins and bought this rosé. And then we drank all of it. And then I left Pandora's flat at 2am to go on a date. <laughs> I think I'd already gone to bed. I think I left you and Ollie talking. Yeah, my me husband and Pandora's came, husband was my shooting husband came back drinking that rosé. And me and Ollie just did a tag team. And he was like, I'll take over from here. Oh, for Christ's sake. <laughs> There's a mutable force never leaving our kitchen. <laughs> anyway, so I don't feel any. Um, you don't feel any desire to go back to um, Miraval. Okay, no, no, it was very delicious that rose. Speaking of customer loyalty, there has been outrage. Yes, more middle class outrage on the high low. Fancy that. There has been absolute <laughs> outrage that Waitrose are not offering free coffees anymore. Now. I know so many people who go to Waitrose every morning just to get their free coffee. And I can't really understand why Waitrose were doing it for as long as they could. Mm. You just walked in, got your free coffee and went out again, as my flatmate did for two years. Anyway, now you have to buy something in order to get the free coffee. And as I said, it's mayhem. It's carnage. Well, I think fair's fair. What, you think they should have yeah, to buy something to get a free so. coffee? Yeah. How do you feel about, especially as a journalist, I'm interested about freebie culture? 
Um, I love how obsessed people are with freebies. I think as we become more consumerist and more obsessed with stuff, the more people want like free stuff. And it doesn't even matter what it is. Um, I was reading this piece in Cosmo this month with Kate Wills. It's kind of about the sharing economy. And, you know, there's a real increase on on all kind of pitting into the sense of community, the idea of community coming back. Mm. And um, and there was this website where you could basically pick up free stuff so it didn't go to waste. And she had listed some stuff. I think she listed like half a wheel of cheese um, and it hadn't gone. And she was like, how has my cheese not gone when a pair of leggings with a hole in the crotch that has been sewn up <laughs> have gone and an old dead bonsai tree? <laughs> and I was just obsessed that you've got to read that article actually. Um Anyway, so really enjoyed that one man's trash being um, another man's treasure. But also, how often do you hear people go, oh, I'll take that if it's free. 80-year-old man and it's like a Christmas decoration. It's July. I'll take that if it's free. Is that going begging? If it's going begging, that expression. It's, it's a nightmare with flatmates when you live with two women. Because what, we is do that about, about once a week, one of us, we have this system where we have some old shitty piece of clothing that we never wear anymore and we put it in the hallway and it's sort of just first come, first serve. And everyone does the rounds on it. And no one ever really wants to throw it out because it's free. But you end up... Like, I've got so many of Belle's old clothes that I just never wear. Take to a charity shop. I'm there all the time. I know, but it's just because you have this intrinsic greed, I think, of, like, if something's free, you need to get it. Yeah, I think there is that thing. And it was really funny when I worked at Style. There was, like, this big box that everyone would just chuck anything into when they got sent it and they didn't want it. And they, you know, couldn't re-gift it to a family member. And some of the stuff in that... I used to go, my God, I can't put this in there. Who's going to take this? And, and, and a girl I worked with was like you would be surprised and she told me the story about how before I'd got there someone had got sent like a pink monogrammed mini suitcase and this guy from like the news desk who was like 50 was like is uh, anyone taking this no and just sort of (laughs) shut it up and wheeled it (laughs) can I take it now is it ready to go excellent (laughs) I love that I've had a real kind of evaluation re-evaluation about um, freebies and actually I think it's because I've always been a really big purger like I don't like clutter mm. I don't like having stuff unless there's a purpose for it so I don't like getting sent stuff that I know I'll never use so now actually I'm in the very lucky position where I do get sent things mm. and I get sent lots of clothes which is really really spoiling now I will always ask to see a picture of something before they send it Yeah, that's because good. you know these it's might be waste. brands with small budgets exactly. and I do give stuff to friends a lot they always have lovely birthday presents as do my sisters yes, but it's really do. funny now my sisters go through it and they're like is this free is this free and I'm like yeah but the man hours it took to assemble the free stuff <laughs> I could charge you for okay you're ungrateful no 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 they're very grateful but um so I'll say I don't think it's my style or I'm not I'm not going to wear it so please don't waste something or send it to me because I do think there's quite a rank attitude I know a lot of people who don't give stuff to charity no, don't send stuff it, and it back. can be very grabby I yes think. I think and I think the way that consumerism is changing now this whole idea oh you know people are spending much less on traditional advertising there's a lot more kind of digital native mm. advertising all that kind of thing so sending someone something then wearing it or then posting about it that's that's a real that's really pervasive now and you know that's why you get loads of like teenagers who are like when I grow up I want to be on Made in Chelsea or something like that because they just want to get sent free shit mm. so freebies yes I'm lucky to get some but I am quite conscious yes conscious and thoughtful I suppose about my acquisition what about you well I never you love quite, a good notebook it's quite new to me actually um because I never worked staff on a magazine or a paper so I never got all those invites all those freebies all those presents or you know those products and I've started getting more of them in the last couple of years and something that I really noticed about myself how 
how quickly entitlement happens. So when I first started getting things, I would be so grateful and I would really treasure the stuff. And I'm like, oh, how lucky am I? And then I started just getting a bit more like, oh, yeah, well. Only got 40 presents exactly, this week. Exactly, well, sort of. And so I decided to make a conscious decision that because it is a great privilege to get free stuff oh and it is God, fun and it is a it treat is. and it's lovely and actually you should only ever think of that as nothing you're entitled to but just a very fun bonus so in my head now what I do is I always give half of what I'm given away either to my flatmates or my mum oh god yeah it really annoys me when people don't ever give anything to charity I do a lot of clothing sales actually yeah that's a, a lot of it idea. is stuff that I've bought which is why I don't give 100% to charity because I can't really afford to yeah but um I'll always give a percentage to charity I'm down my Oxfam all the time um we should absolutely be doing it. it does annoy me though when people are like oh my god like why are you getting that stuff in I wasn't turning around and be like um what's the well, you know what's the like salary in your industry like mm. Dawn Porter was talking about it actually on her podcast get it on she interviewed Polly Vernon Molly Vernon is really honest about her life experience, which is great, whether or not it's exercising to stay skinny. She's like, yeah, I am skinny and I exercise to stay the skinny and I work really hard at it, you know, which I think is unusual. There's that really annoying thing amongst women about being like, oh, this is just naturally my body type. If it is, great, but no, it's often, it's not. often it's not. Yeah, she's very transparent. She's transparent about getting sent lovely things. And Dawn was saying, you know, it's such a great thing, but kind of I'm not going to feel guilty about it. When a brand, she said that she lost her makeup bag the other day and someone sent her a new one and she Instagrammed or tweeted saying, oh, thank you so much to the brand that sent me this. I think it's it's gratitude as well. I always send a thank you But she said that lots of people were like, I lost my makeup bag, why didn't I get one? And what she said, which is a really fair point, and she said, listen, I have a brand. I have, you know, she's got like 300,000 followers on Twitter. She said, I have a brand and they are sending me stuff because they are a brand it's and they strange. want my brand to promote it. It's the way it works. It's the way professional relationships work. And she was quite sort of a bit like... I felt like she was like, I'm not going to apologise for this. This is this is where I'm at in my industry and you probably have different areas of where you're at in your industry. That said, I think, you know, we are at this quite rank point where I can't even imagine the kind of stuff that, like, the Kardashians get sent. I hope all of you have perks within your industry. Yes, that, I agree. That would be my parting shot on that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, we're going to talk again about memes, but very briefly, don't worry. So for anyone who listened last week, they'll know how incredibly obsessed, not just we are, it went way more mental since the podcast. Incredibly obsessed. Uh, the world was with Professor Kelly, BBC pundit dad meme. The interesting thing is, since we talked about it last week, Marion, Marion the four year old, she has been the breakout star. If I was him, I might feel a little bit uncomfortable about the fact that you put a Marion Kelly into Google and there's like reams and reams of articles about an unknown four year old. Um, anyway, so that meme took off. I think it's now into sort of 100 million views. A meme that I've really enjoyed this week that's been talk of the Twitter town. Um, is Meryl Streep screaming, bellowing, and that's become a <laughs> meme unto itself. So it's from it's an archive picture of her from the 2015 SAG Awards, and she's copping her mouth and she's screaming something to someone. And anyway, it's been it's been co-opted by like a million different people. Words been put into her mouth. It's that um oh Kelly song is it like Can I get a ooh, ooh, 
Can I get it? It's just any sort of response. <laughs> so it's anything. Yeah, it's anything response has been put in there. And I particularly enjoyed it because I am writing a piece um, about memes and the kind of cultural phenomenon of the of the meme. And um, I love that every week there's a new one. And in fact, on that subject, I'm doing a hell of a lot of field research for this piece. If you can think of any iconic memes, please can you tweet me? Not From- the Hilo. The Hilo's not writing it. I am. <laughs> no, I'd love to. Please do tweet the Hilo. I'd love to. I'd love to read about them. You reminded me of the original meme. So the original meme is meant to be um, one from 1996, which is the baby dancing. That's slightly the creepy. Ooga, shaka, ooga, 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 shaka, ooga. That's oh, how it goes. It's the dancing baby. It dances to it. Oh, yeah. I can't stop this feeling deep inside of me. From memes to uh, Theresa May. Our Prime Minister, Theresa May, has done an interview this week with American Vogue and there's been a lot of commentary on it. Thank God you um, specified that she was our Prime Minister, Theresa May, not our friend, Theresa May. Um, So it was revealed in January that Theresa May would be doing the April issue of US Vogue and there was a lot of talk about her doing it to get into bed with Trump, XYZ. I think it was actually just to do with global PR. I think she'd done, she did a big piece with the Sunday Times magazine with Eleanor Mills over here and I think she probably wanted to do a profile over there. Anne Perkins wrote a piece for The Guardian in January where um, she kind of spoke about... Theresa May possibly becoming a woman known for ill-timed choices whether or not it be wearing a pair of chocolate brown leather trousers for a thousand pounds or you know going and doing US Vogue when there's all of the Trump Ferrari it was actually a really interesting piece because she actually kind of does you think it's going all one way and then she's like but actually hold up here you know let's think logically and in it she says British fashion is big business and the US is a big market. That is at least part of the reason why American Vogue's British editor Anna Wintour was made a dame in the New York Honours. Fashion is on trend. The world has got serious about politics. Last month, Teen Vogue had a smash hit with a blistering leader about Donald Trump gaslighting the country, which far outstripped the second most read feature ever, the right way to apply glitter nail polish so what she's saying is that um fashion has become very political and so by extension using the industry of fashion as a medium to discuss politics as a filter through which it can kind of translate to to the reader is actually not not as nutty a decision as Mm. it seems because there's never been more fashion and politics commentary in my lifetime I feel like than there is right now you know I've never talked so much about it I've never written so much about it and Dolly tell us a little bit about the American Vogue interview well it didn't shy away from the issue obviously it was for American Vogue so it didn't shy away it was a full profile and I have to say I'm not a fan of Theresa May but I think she came across very well and it was a very well written profile Um, but the interview didn't shy away from the issue of Theresa May's wardrobe which has had a huge amount of airtime over the years even before she became Prime Minister shoes her shoes the shoes shoes. remember the the little bodycon strapless dress love her little shoes Uh, the interviewer Gabby Wood wrote one of the minor freedoms May has sought to protect herself is the ability to wear the clothes she likes she has no style advisors and shops in a boutique in Henley (laughs) a town near her constituency known for its regatta I mean of course have you been there have you been to the regatta no but I've been to Henley and that does not surprise (laughs) me at all though she often wears the British designer Amanda Wakeley and has a new coat by the young South East London based Daniel Blake she doesn't feel the need to restrict herself to British brands. She grumbles a little over the fact that when she wears something more than once, journalists describe it as recycled. There aren't many people who buy things to wear only once, she says. To hear, hear. 
The interviewer also brought up the famous brown leather trousers that cost nearly £1,000 that our Prime Minister wore in an interview in which she ironically was meant to be speaking about families who were just about managing jams. And Gabby Wood said, when I asked if this surprised her, May makes a dismissive sound. Pfft, she says, look, throughout my political career, people have commented on what I wear. That's just something that happens and you accept that. But it doesn't stop me from going out and enjoying fashion. And I also think it's important to be able to show that a woman can do a job like this and still be interested in clothes. Well, you know that that's something that I am particularly passionate about. Interest and an investment in fashion does not negate your knowledge or your ability to transverse in in other areas. You Absolutely. know, there's a, like another great example would be Amal Clooney. She can wear Gian Battista Varley couture to her wedding, but she's still having meetings rights. with. Yeah, yeah. she's prob- possibly the most influential human rights lawyer working in the world right now. You know, the conversation she's having with the UN about terrorism, about FGM, about you know, these massive, massive subjects. And sure, on Twitter, there's always a, look what a Mal Clooney wore to clothe her bump while out and about. And sometimes people reply going, look what a Mal Clooney wore to have, you know, a a world-defining summit at the UN. But I don't think, and I I may be alone here, I don't think she should have felt guilty about spending £1,000 of her own money on a pair of leather trousers. It's her money to spend as she pleases. People got so cross about the trousers, though. Got really cross about the trousers. I think people are still cross about the trousers. What are you cross about the trousers? I think it's maybe in slightly poor taste, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I don't... Do you know what? I just don't think they thought about it. I don't think she thought. They're they're not a particularly showy pair of trousers. No, it's brown trousers. Talking about that subject and wearing clothes. But what it does is it just basically shows... It doesn't do her any favours because it shows a disconnect between her and her people. That's what the problem is. I think it's across the board with... MPs. I remember with Ed Miliband, there was outrage about his whole having two kitchens thing. So I don't think it's a gendered issue. I think it is a gendered issue. I was reading something where someone pointed out when was the last time that any senior politician, including Cameron or Obama, got asked where their suit was from and how much it cost. Every single suit that David Cameron wore would have cost more than her leather trousers. I suppose. Every single one, probably four or five grand. He's not going to be shopping at Next, is he? Well, speaking of... Although Next do a good slim slim line suit. Speaking of the trousers, I uh, got into my first black cab the other day in months. Are you not doing Uber anymore? No, it's just because I couldn't get an Uber. <laughs> Still phone out of battery, it's not um, some big political... It was my phone was out of battery. Um, God, I bloody hate black cabs now. I really Ooh, hate them. Oh, that's quite bold because, you know... I know, when, yeah, I okay, know. right, all right, why do you hate them? I just can't remember the last time I got into a black cab and the driver hasn't been anything other than surly, sarcastic... This man was very racist. I'm not saying they're all like that, but it's just, it's something I'm noticing. There's like a slight sanctimonious. Yeah, I used to love getting in black cabs. And also I really like supporting black cab drivers. Anyway, back to the trousers. There was some roadworks in Archway. This driver hung his head out of the window and started shouting very Brexity things to the construction workers. And then he said to me, the country is a state. And I was like, oh, God. Is it? He said, yes. And you only have to look at David Cameron's £900 leather trousers to know that. <laughs> and I just was very lost here. And I just was like, his, his what, leather What, had he trousers. read that the Prime Minister wore £900 leather trousers yes, and he, he just didn't not... realise that David Cameron had left? Exactly. So I started Googling David Cameron <laughs> leather trousers, David Cameron like 900 Ross. trousers. Exactly. I was like, how have I missed this? And Did then I realised... Was he embarrassed? No, I just, no, I don't, I wasn't trying to engage. It was when I was lying in bed afterwards. I was so possessed by this thought, so I just started Googling it. Yeah, and then I realised it was Theresa May and her leather trousers. And look, 
I'm actually a big fan of I'm leather not, trousers. I'm <laughs> men in leather trousers. I'm a big fan of how of Theresa May's point blank refusal to tone down the way that she dresses. The woman loves fashion and I really respect that she makes a point of dressing whether it's leather trousers or those nutty plaid suits that Vivian Westwood lucky pantsuit that she wears that I'm completely obsessed with. I really like that she doesn't want to negate her idiosyncrasy with her taste in fashion and she won't back down. She keeps coming out wearing weird zany clothes. It was interesting in the in the interview it says that in 2006 which I didn't realise at all um, she was photographed wearing a black t-shirt that read this is what a feminist looks like which is funny because obviously 2017 11 years later there's a lot of like t-shirts talking about feminism so she was ahead of the curve with that one. The disappointing thing is is she's asked whether she would still call herself a feminist and the interviewer says she prevaricates. I haven't thought about that for a very long time she says with a laugh which is just nuts because all oh, I feel like all anyone seems to be talking about or writing about whether or not it's positive or negative is um, feminism. And she's I think a female. It's, I think it's completely unacceptable that. Well, she, she has, said that. She, and she has been. She has been accused of obviously not doing nearly enough for um, for women's equality. That said, the interviewer also brought up the subject of salary. It says that she visited an elementary school in Maidenhead and one of the little children said, how much do you get paid? And um, she answered really plainly, I get paid two salaries and if you add those two up, I suppose it's public knowledge, I get about 142000 she said. I really like it whenever women talk about salaries. They're still, um, you know, even Dolly and Anna way here, we're talking about, I asked Dolly because I'm nosy what she got paid for something and she sort of looked at the pavement and told me, you know, there's still this idea yeah, that we shouldn't is, talk about yeah. salaries and actually, um, sod that. The only way we're going to get paid what we should be paid is if you talk about them. And a friend of mine um, has set up a website, a journalist called Catherine Ormerod has set up a website called workworkwork.co talking about um, women in the workplace and kind of the, the reality behind the facade in, in all different aspects of life and she's written one about money she's like no one wants to talk about it and she says what she's earned at all intervals of her life and um, I think it's really brilliant and I'm so glad she wrote that anyway before we move on Dolly wants to share her favourite paragraph from the uh, American Vogue interview with Theresa May she studied geography at St Hugh's College, Oxford. Many British politicians have been members of the Oxford Union Debating Society, but May, then Theresa Brazier, was president of its more anarchic sibling, the Edmund Burke Society. It specialised in silliness, but its style could also reportedly be caustic, drunken, parodic and vi- vituperatively personal. <laughs> May presided over proceedings, mad hatter-like, brandishing a meat tenderizer in place of a gavel. It's a gavel. It's a gavel. It's when you hit order, order. On one occasion, after she'd graduated and Philip had taken over as president, May returned to speak against the proposition that sex is good, but success is better. <laughs> no one can recall her argument exactly, but she was at least dressed to prove the point, revealing her décolletage in a floor-length red gown that she'd made from a length of satin found in her mother's closet. Two thoughts on this. A, um... I love that I had to teach you what several things <laughs> but also I think this sounds like you on a Saturday night I can imagine you in a length of red satin brandishing a meat tenderizer you're talking shit Sykes <laughs> on to Ask the Hilo Ask the Hilo yes yeah, so we've got lots of lovely questions this week we thought we'd try and answer a few more this week because we didn't get to do as many as we would have liked last week Dolly kick us off Dear Dolly and Pandora may I just say that it's such a pleasure to have you both back walking around London I've seen lots of 
advertisements for the showcase of Princess Diana's fashion story at Kensington Palace. Mm -hmm. I've also been listening to the recent Women's Hour feature on specific pieces and outfits. My boyfriend commented how he was annoyed that Diana's legacy had been reduced to her wardrobe. He argued that her humanitarian career was seemingly diminished by our continual celebration of her style and beauty. I counted that part of Diana's mythic appeal was her ability to mix glamour, royal duty, female sexuality and aid work. Mm. Her wardrobe means far more than just her image. It is a statement of a subtle rebellion against the institutionalised repression and tension within the monarchy. In short, she was a bloody icon. I was wondering what you thought about Britain and the world's affection for Princess Di and her style. Are we reducing her memory to her clothes, which were often made for her and put upon her? Very interesting. I think leaving aside what we think about Britain and its affection for Princess Di, because I feel like that's a whole different a whole different story about how we kind of treat icons when they mm. when they die. Um, I think it really resonates with the Theresa May topic. I think you're absolutely right. Her image was very much part of her mythic appeal. She exactly. took great enjoyment designing her dresses with and people she loved like fashion. Norman Hartnell. Yes, if you read any of those pieces around the exhibition, you know, she spent a great deal of time making up these dresses, enjoying wearing them. And you know, I'm no princess die, but I take great enjoyment in my wardrobe. And um, I don't think I'd be remotely offended if uh, anyone wanted to celebrate me for my great fashion choices. So I think you're right. I think that, you know, if you're doing humanitarian, it's like the Amal Clooney. This is literally like what we've just been talking about. Mm. It's as long as it doesn't negate your efforts elsewhere. And I, and I actually think it's fucking great that your, that your boyfriend's the one questioning how we're seeing a woman in her wardrobe. I, I like this. We should have more men questioning the viewpoint through which we see women. Next question. My question concerns baby showers. I have been struggling to get pregnant for years and have recently been through two emotional rounds of IVF. I'm so sorry. I know a lot of friends going through that. Today I received a baby shower invite from someone I barely know, a friend of a friend who I see twice a year at social events. Long story short, I know she knows about my IVF. I've been keeping it together for the most part. I've been depressed, scared, hugely emotional. This baby shower invite really upsets me. Why would she invite an acquaintance who just suffered a failed IVF to her baby shower, then send a list of suitable gifts for everyone to purchase am i being insensitive or is this the norm i'm a bit in two minds about this i think first of all i think baby showers are sort of a crock of shit um in terms of asking unless you're financially struggling uh, in which case i completely understand why you would ask for some help from your friends and your friends would be willing to help I just think if someone wants to get presents for your baby and, you know, that should be their choice. So I understand why that might be slightly grating. I think it's hard because I understand that you must be in immense pain, but I don't... I think if this person isn't your close friend and they're just a friend of a friend, perhaps they don't know the extent of the pain that you're going through and perhaps they thought it would make more of a point if they didn't invite you. I absolutely agree with that. I think that I I know from having been in a situation where I have pussyfooted around something perhaps mm. and not had the conversation or not extended an invite and someone has said, you know, just treat me normally. Yes. Like stop you know, don't treat don't treat me like like the actual elephant in the room. So I think she was actually probably trying to make sure that you still felt included even though you were going through something that was topically very painful. Yeah. The other um 
the other, you know, really painful thing is, and I see this with friends who get engaged whilst other friends have just broken up with their other half, is that unfortunately life goes on for other people. And whilst they may empathise hugely, that can't stop the big life changes exactly. that and they it won't are going be, through. It won't be the centre of their world. So if it it was, may be the centre of yours, understandably. If, yeah, I think if it was me in your position, I would probably send a message saying, thank you for inviting me. But as you as you may have heard, I'm going through um, some very like painful personal stuff yeah. with, with trying to start my own family and I think it would be too hard for me to come. And I think they would understand that. But sending you huge amounts of love and support because obviously that's a very difficult thing to be going through. Absolutely. Next question, Dolly. I'm writing on behalf of all my best friends because we are, as Dolly would say, obsessed with your podcast. Thanks! I have so many questions for the high-low. <laughs> Firstly, Dolly, do you feel like it's okay to wear heels regularly? I'm five foot ten and I feel like a giant walking around the place with my normal-sized friends. <laughs> Secondly, my friend wants to know how do you deal with errant cheek hairs or chin that hair That must removers. be for me, right? As the, as, the, as the hair facial hair remover of the room. <laughs> are chin hair removers suitable for cheek hairs? Should she just get laser hair removal much love from dublin anonymous <laughs> um wow i don't know i've never experienced like cheek hair aside from just the soft down no i don't think you have to get special tools for each different part of your I body you'd have a whole toolbox yeah. <laughs> i just tweeze if it's good enough for the chin it's good enough for the cheek and uh, dolly i know that you wear high heels but do you have any uh, tall lady words of wisdom <laughs> i would say that it um the thing that you have to deal with, I don't really mind looking like, I. My, all my friends are very petite, so I just look like Gandalf and the Hobbits whenever <laughs> I'm out on a Saturday night with my mates and I'm in heels. I don't really mind that. They don't really mind that. And if you're fine with that and it makes you feel empowered and it makes you feel beautiful, then you should bloody wear what you want. All I would say is you will have stupid men coming up to you and telling you you're tall all the time. Don't you get people walking down the road just going, you're tall? I had a man lean out of a car in Hampstead High Street the other day and shout, tall, at me. And then he slowed up towards traffic lights. So he had to stop at traffic and lights. And you just look at him? And I window. walked past him and I just went, you're in a smart car, mate. Did like you? That. And he just looked straight ahead. <laughs> um, but what I would say is you are going to have men come up and say that to you. And sometimes I'm ready to face that head on. Sometimes my friends are vying for a fight and they're totally happy to be my little army against men that are saying that stuff to me and sometimes I cannot be asked for men to be making me feel self-conscious and coming up to me and pestering me all night about how tall I am so I don't wear them which is sad um but sometimes you just want to have a drink and not have to uh deal with a load of burks so it depends what mindset you're in I would say another question about writing a book I'm having a first world problem in that I'm trying to write a book. I've essentially developed and written it all in my head where it sounds pretty great. And on a good day, I've even picked out the actors for the screen adaptation. I work full time, so evenings or weekends are the only time I have to write. But when I sit down, there's nothing. God, I know that feeling. Why am I struggling to sit down? I really want to write it, but nothing appears. Love, Nicole, your lone Texan listener. More on that shortly, because we have found out where we only have uh, one listener. Um, Anyway, Dolly, you will sympathise with the book writing, I think, more than I could. Um, yes, the thing that I would say is, first of all, my heart goes out for you. Both Pandora and I, for years, had full-time jobs and we were doing freelancing in the evenings and the weekends and it's a fucking knackering thing to do. The best thing that I can do to really get some great ideas and some brilliant inspiration is I plug myself into some lovely music classical music's quite good actually um or something without lyrics jazz music something that kind of can 
let your mind go more into the middle distance and kind of go into deeper parts of your consciousness and put your phone on airplane mode and go for a really yeah, long walk. I love walk. putting my phone on airplane. Go for a really long walk somewhere beautiful. Go Hampstead Heath or Richmond Park and go for a two <laughs> She lives hour. in Texas. No, she's in London. She's a Texan in London. I think you'll be amazed at all the stuff that will start rising up to the top of your mind and then go straight home, sit down with a notepad or a laptop and just start scribbling. A notepad, adorable. Do you write your book in a notepad? I I have a notepad full of ideas. I often will go for a long walk, come back, write everything down as a brain dump in a notepad, then wake up the next morning and read it and write. Yeah, it's always good to have... um notepad by your bed yes that's a very good i used tip. to send myself emails all the time but oh. then i have to go into my scent folder and move them from my scent folder to my inbox otherwise it's just it's just lost that reminder do you ever do something that i've noticed i do which is a bit sad is if i have to email myself something i sign off with a kiss that's sweet self-love it's very important dolly right sad. last question let's read out the last question Hi Dolly and Pandora, after being single for just over two years now and have met a long list of beautiful boys loaded with issues and who treated me crappy or were unavailable for anything meaningful, I've recently met a guy who likes me very much and is open and forthright about his intentions with me and the way he feels. However, and here's where I might sound like a bit of an asshole, he isn't the most attractive guy. I like his company, but I'm about 50% attracted to him. Do you think it would grow over time? I don't want to miss out on a great partner over something so superficial. Pandy. Um, I think that you can't, you know, you can't make yourself be sexually attracted to someone. So if you think there's potential um, for that side to grow, then hang out for a bit, see what happens. But if you're really not attracted to someone, there's no point forcing it just because you feel like you should be with people that are less attractive because they might be nicer. No, you should never be with someone just because they're nice to you. I think that is indicative of having a very rocky past with men. What I would say is there's there's something very different between being attractive and being good looking so it doesn't matter if this man isn't good how you physically look really means like seriously means fuck all seriously if he is attractive if he carries himself with confidence and he's funny and he's kind and he's intelligent and he's sexy then it really doesn't matter how he looks physically um but the point is if you're just not feeling an attraction as pandora says you can't ignore that Uh, that's the thing that differentiates friendship and romance and it's and sexual attraction is a very very important part of a relationship Thank you very much to Wise Buddha for letting us use their studios to record uh, the high low And we'd today. also like to applaud them on their unconventional spelling of Buddha that we noticed today. Yes, um, we want to know if it's a deliberate spelling. Apparently on purpose. Appa- yeah, appa- but we couldn't. We were trying to work out if it was like an acronym or something. But well done, it's pretty funky. It's <laughs> very funky. Um, thank you to everyone who tweeted us. Please do tweet us your thoughts on today's episode at The High Low Show. You can also email us show at gmail.com. And to finish on a fun fact. A great fun fact, thanks to Charlie, our producer. The top three countries we are listening to, we found out what countries we're listening to the most. And Charlie, our producer, also found out the places where we only have one listener because he thought this was quite entertaining, and he's right. I love that we have lone listeners in these countries. So coming in at number one, we have the UK, then US, then Ireland, then Australia, then France, Germany, Canada, and Spain. And where do we have one listener? We have one listener in Bangladesh, Botswana, Kazakhstan, El Salvador... The Cayman Islands 
in Gambia. I love this. So Shout thank out to you this one listener. To all our one listeners representing a whole country. I wonder if it's um, a friend of ours who just hasn't told us that he or she has been to business and all of those places. Yeah, I think been that's, on business that's to much all of those more places. likely. Um, but I absolutely love that we have one lone listener in El Salvador or uh, Bangladesh. Thank you very much. Bring a pal, make it too. <laughs> thank you very much for listening. Speak to you next week. Bye. Bye.